you know, often with Love Thy Neighborhood episodes, yeah. it's where the blank meets. Mm-hmm. No, where the no, it's where the gospel. <laughs> Where the, uh, where the gospel meets, meets blank. blank. Yeah. In second hesitation. There's always a moment that I regret you coming into <laughs> yeah. the studio. And most of the time starts with hello. <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> you made me question everything at hello. What are we meeting today? Ourselves. Where the gospel meets ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just play the music. Okay. <laughs> This is the Love That Neighborhood Podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Lachlan Coffey. And I'm Rachel Zabo. And today we're all in the studio to bring back some of your favorite episodes. A stroll down memory lane. That's right. Yeah, how many are we doing? So we're doing five. We had our listeners vote for their top three, but we're actually going to do top five listener voted favorite episodes. It's yeah, nice cool. to reminisce, look back. And, oh, and it's it's because it's our 25th episode, too. Oh, my word. So it's like 25 of these things. It is. Yeah. That worked out really well. Yeah. But no, that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> no, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, you're right. This is quarter of a century episode. It's the quarter life episode. All yeah. right. You ready to go? Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Uh, okay, so what are we starting right. with? All right, we're going to start with episode five. We're going to work backwards. So, okay, so this is the so fifth ranked fifth episode. Fifth ranked episode. But at first, I want you to guess. Okay, number five. Can we get a hint? So The ones that I love are the ones that I am in. Okay, well, okay, here's a hint. <laughs> this is one that you're not in. Okay, uh, This Lachlan's is one that right. I'm in. Oh, Rachel's. This is me I'm sleeping. the co-host um, in this one. Okay, so you're the co-host. Um... Mental illness. That was a good guess. Incorrect. It's not. Ah, no, it is not. So sorry, my number five my is actually singleness. Oh yeah, singleness. Yeah. I remember being reminded again on that episode that we're not all called to be married, and so like there doesn't have to be a uh, a plan of a single person. Like, what's your plan to get married? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. your plan devised by the Lord himself might be to be single. And that's mm-hmm. fine. I really liked, um, I love telling uh, the story about uh, the artist who continuously like changed her appearance in order to appeal to different guys. I thought that was really like bizarre and fascinating and like disturbing at the same time. Yeah. So that's the clip I have for you. Oh, it's about okay. Sarah Martin. Yeah. And what she did. Yeah. So here's a clip of that story from episode number 18 where the gospel meets singleness. Maybe I am doing something wrong. So I kind of took it on as an experiment. Um, I joined multiple Christian dating websites. And then um, I asked friends of friends through Facebook if they would participate in this project. Wait, wait. Did she just say project? Wait, what project is she talking about? I don't. What is happening right now? So Sarah's an artist and... She likes to use her art to kind of explore different problems in the world. And so what Sarah decides to do is she's going to get on all of these Christian dating websites and she's going to ask all these different single Christian men to give her a list of what they expect in an ideal spouse. Anything that comes to mind, like what are some characteristics? 
What would they look like? What would you guys be doing on the weekends, on a day off, things like that? Okay, and then Sarah is going to try and be whatever this person is that they've described. And then she's going to take a picture of herself or a video of herself as this person, send it to the men and say, is this right? I would have three chances to meet their expectations and become that person for them. <laughs> this is like, this is so bold. Like, I either feel like this is going to be like so amazing or just so terrible. Yeah. So like, did guys actually like go along with this? Well, actually, not at first. I got kicked off of one dating site. Um, a pastor who was on the dating site turned me in because he was really upset that I wasn't there legitimately to date. So anyway, that's it was, it's kind of funny to get like a rejection letter from a dating website. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the like the dating police Gestapo like came after her. Right, that's like the ultimate rejection. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after that, eventually Sarah did find twenty guys on these dating websites who said they would do it, and then the expectations started coming in. And at first, you know, the expectations were pretty general, pretty normal. There was this super sweet guy in the military, and he just wanted somebody to tell him happy birthday and have a conversation with him. So we did over Skype. Oh, that's like so sweet. I know, right? Like, that's cute. Yeah, I, li- I kind of like that. But then it gets weird, okay? It's about to get really weird because some of the other men had expectations that were strangely particular. I want to come home from work, and I want you to be making dinner in a dress and serving me impeccably. And I'm like, all right, okay. But then it would get even, like, more specific, and I want you to wear this certain kind of polka dot dress. So I'd go out and buy a polka dot dress, and I would do the video, And then he was like, "Mm, that was really close. I don't like that dress. I don't like your hair. Can you do it again? Oh, my gosh. This guy even went so far as to say as I want your dress to be navy with white polka dots. I feel really gross. Right. Like, I I feel like I need to go, like, take a shower. Like, this is like. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's like so disturbing. And what's really weird is this guy wasn't the only guy who had a very specific image in mind. They wanted me to physically, like, alter myself. Several people are like, you're a pretty girl, but if you lost, like, 15 to 20 pounds, like, that was a normal thing. So I did. Hold on. This is, like, next level. Like, she's physically altering herself because of their requests. Yeah. I mean, like, Sarah's totally committed to this is the project. This is what I've said I'm going to do. And whatever they want, she's doing it. Yeah, it's like Sarah's like their little doll and they can do with her like whatever they want. Like that is super weird. Other people wanted me to pose like a Christmas card, a family Christmas card. So I did borrow babies and children of my friends to accommodate. You know, one guy was like an off the grid type guy that wanted me to be like self-sufficient and Learning to shoot a rifle was interesting. Learning how to sew and doing all this stuff that I didn't know how to do. Or I had to learn how to play the guitar a little bit. That took a long time. So actually, it took Sarah two years to complete all of the requests from these 20 men. And some of them were so demanding that actually 
she didn't meet the expectation in the three tries that she gave them. I had one guy get really angry with me because I didn't meet his expectations after the third time. Like he sent me an email that said, do you need me to do this video for you and give you notes so you know how to do it, right? And I was like, wow. I apologize for the male species. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's still so hard to listen to. It's so hard. Uh -huh. So I actually, I sent Sarah an email. You know, do you have an update? No way. For our listeners, how's life going or whatever? And she said she's still happily single. And she said that, you know, this journey she's gone through, she was like, that's actually been a real gift for her and she's really thankful mm. for it that's cool that's, uh, that's great yeah i don't yeah. i'm just kind of spitballing here but what do you think about a love thy neighborhood dating website it's actually called don't love you guys neighbor. have like a 10 percent marriage rate or something coming out of uh the program uh, we used to marriage is in the minority yeah considerably okay. mm -hmm. yep. used to be married when we started this marriage was in the majority within a few years now it's sizably in the minority that's fascinating yeah. change of culture man yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. All right, you ready for another clip? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, okay, so this is right. uh, the fourth this highest is ranked four. episode. Okay. Yeah. Lachlan, you're in this one. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's our hint. Hint. Yeah. Lachlan's, Lachlan's in, this, in one. this one. I'm trying to think. Neighbors. Been in. Oh, yeah. Where the gospel meets Good neighbors. Guess. That's not it. Okay. Hold on. Community. No. Oh, the wealth episode. No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The wealth episode. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love this episode. Yeah. I, I really do. I think that... Because uh, we don't talk about it. Like, we mean? talk about poor. Yeah, 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 yeah. We like, don't about talk poverty. about... Yeah. Well, because, yes, often we talk about poverty and we only revere wealth, but we actually don't explore it Christianly, yeah. you know? And so... And there were so many good... There's so many good stories in this episode. Yeah, actually, this is part of the story from uh, the guy you talked to whose name was Stephen. So, here's a clip from... Episode number 17, where the gospel meets wealth. Roll that beautiful footage. So when Stephen was a teenager, my favorite movie of all time came out. Do you know what my favorite movie of all time is? Is it Simon Birch? I love that movie. I'm obsessed with Simon Birch. You know that line where he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, and please stop guessing. Uh, the greatest movie of all time is where Michael J. Fox goes back in time to save his family. Back, back to, to the, the future. future. There's two things that matter in that movie to me. I mean, you. what matters to you is probably the DeLorean and going back in time. But I saw the first scene where there's the speakers and the guitar and the pick. And he just plays like one note, blows up everything. Like, awesome. And then what does he do? First he cusses, which is crazy, because that's what every 80s movie did. And then he jumps on a skateboard. So that guitar and the skateboard had Steven, like, hooked. And he decided, like, that is what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to play guitar, and he wanted to skateboard, which back in the 80s was synonymous with one thing, punk rock. spent a lot of time with kind of punk rock kids and they didn't have much money and they lived in the basement of their house and I think everyone I mean I can't remember a household that wasn't broken like I think through like was anyone married in any of these kids homes that's how it felt 
Not surprisingly, the punk rock environment was really different from the environment that Stephen grew up in. But back then, it was like, that was a scene for the marginalized, right? And that was, there's a lot of poverty. A lot of emotional poverty. And physical poverty. So spending his days with, like, all these punk rock kids and being in and out of all of these different punk rock kids' homes and then eventually touring in a punk rock band, like, Stephen's outlook on wealth, it changed. And not because he simply saw poverty firsthand, but because he had real relationships with these punk rock kids. So it gave great conversations of, you're wealthy, you know, you're better than us maybe, or you think you're better than us, and we're poor. It was very easy to talk about. And it was easy to talk about because in punk rock, it's like almost your goal to offend people, right? And so the reality was these punk rockers would be brutally honest. Steven knew what they thought about him, and he knew what they thought about his money. And just being in that punk rock environment has really shaped much of Steven's outlook on wealth and poverty. Like, it's fine to interact with poverty by going, hey, you're poor. Here's a dollar, which you don't really do, but that's the idea. Like, let me give you something. I'm American. Let me fix you. But just going, just be around poverty for a while. Just be here. In fact, Steven is still friends with some of these same guys from his punk rock days. And it's because he finds something in them that, honestly, he, he really struggles to find in the church. You know, it's nice to have someone who can outright call you out because they, they don't care. Um, living in the Christian community, in the Christian world, in the church, people are nice. So you don't, have, you don't form a lot of friendships where people don't care to offend you. Like we're always making it our goal not to offend people. We really want to say things that we won't because we're not supposed to. I guess I miss the honesty a lot of, you know, when you're known to have a lot, even if people don't want anything now, they may one day, let's not burn that bridge. And so to have someone that long-term doesn't really care is very refreshing. It's weird to have a topic like that of wealth and you think it's, what are you going to talk about? Just opulence and how great it is. Mm-hmm. And then you hear, that's what I appreciate about Love Thy Neighborhood is you guys, when you all delve into a topic that seems superficial even, like wealth, you end up finding very raw uh, feelings of people being affected by this topic, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, because it's a, there's like a huge relational component to it that we don't think about. Yeah, it always ties back in some way into community and relationship, like mm-hmm. you're saying, Rachel. So yeah. It's, it's great. Great episode. All right. When we come back, we'll keep on making our way down the list. So stay with us. Hey, guys. It's Rachel. Recently, we asked some of our alumni, how has serving with Love Thy Neighborhood made an impact on your life now? And I'd like to share one of those with you. So this is from Asha Juno. She's a production coordinator in Orlando, Florida. And here's what she had to say about her time with Love Thy Neighborhood. Honestly, I don't know that anything has had a greater impact on my life than Love Thy Neighborhood. I think so much about the way I live my life is a reflection of what I learned during my time in Louisville. If you want to find your social justice internship supported by Christian Community, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today.
Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Lachlan Coffey. And I'm Rachel Zabo. And today we're going through our listeners' top five favorite episodes. Top five, baby. All right. On to number three. Um, any hints for us? This is one you've already guessed. Um, oh, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to guess mental illness then. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Mental illness. Which I was surprised. You know, I'm not. I think it's a topic that people know that we have to be able to talk about, and and it's something that affects all of us, you know, in various ways. And so, like, yeah. Do you think uh, it's also more relevant than ever? Right. Yeah, because all the reports show that you know younger generations have higher levels of anxiety and social phobias and you know mental health struggles. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So if you remember in this episode, uh, the main storyline was about Deborah and her family, and they were missionaries overseas. And then Deborah started to get like really manic and she eventually was hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar disorder. You know, she got on medication. Things got like evened out. She got stable and things were looking, you know, generally like they could go back to normal. And then that's where this clip is going to pick up. So here's a clip from episode number seven where the gospel meets mental illness. The psychiatrist said, you know, this is totally treatable you could be high functioning, just like you've always been. And so his assessment and evaluation was that you guys could go back and go overseas. So Deborah and her family wait for the organization to give them the go ahead. They are more than ready to go back to their home and their friends and their mission country. And then one day the organization calls Deborah on the phone. I received a call from them and was told that because of my bipolar disorder, I was not able to get medical clearance to go back overseas. What was explained to me by the personnel was that they don't appoint people with bipolar disorder because a person who might be manic on the field might do things to lose their Christian witness. That was devastating. When they had come back to the States, they expected to return to their country. All of their belongings were still there. They had to have friends from that country pack up everything they owned and ship it to them. Deborah and Mark would never go back. I became very numb, lack of motivation, To wash my dishes was overwhelming. I I would just cry over the fact that I felt so overwhelmed just to wash my dishes or just to have to go out of my house and meet someone. I became very isolated, very difficult to reach out to people. For a while, she's mainly spending time in the room, not really able to do things that she would normally be doing. And so I'm taking the kids to school, starting to make the meals. There was a lot of things that was like, in a small, small way, living like what it would be if you were a single parent. One day, it was just really, really bad. And I I set the girls down and they had asked to go to the pool and I was going to take them to the pool. But it was so overwhelming for me that I couldn't. And I was very upset about that. And I was crying and shared with them some of what was happening to me um, about the fact that I had depression. Most of us would say that Deborah's experiencing depression because of what happened. Who wouldn't? Here's Dr. Briscoe again. The other part of bipolar is the down phase. People will 
will say, well, this is a situational depression. Well, most depression is situational. It's maybe 5% of depressions that are come on out of the blue. But 95% of depression is going to be situational. An analogy I'd like to use is if you've ever had a really bad headache, you can't talk yourself out of a headache. You can't read scripture to get yourself out of a headache. You've got the headache. Depression is like a really, really bad headache that just doesn't go away for nine months to three years. And just like her mania had religious connotations, her depression did too. I found it very difficult to pray. I found it very difficult to read the word. I felt like God was very distant from me. And I had never really experienced that in my life. I had a lot of shame about that because I felt like you should be farther along than this in your walk with the Lord. I was really trusting God and crying out to God uh, for relief, and there was no relief. Yeah, that's really hard. And it's hard for us when we believe that God is real and that He could do anything. And we believe that with Christ, all things are possible. And there's like these moments where we really turn to Scripture And we don't turn to Scripture just for encouragement. We end up turning to Scripture because we want to find the answer to our pain and we want to be healed. If I had, uh, you know, a broken leg, you know, you can read Scripture to me all day if you want. In fact, doing that might actually cause me harm. If you read Scripture to me and walked away, and that could cause me harm. It could actually cause harm to my faith. But but what it boils down to is not understanding. It's because mental health and mental illness is just so hard to understand and I've, I've real. my experience has been that people don't really get things like depression or panic attacks or anxiety until they've been through it themselves. It reminds me of like David in the Psalms, you know, not, it's just not all how great, how amazing are you, God? Sometimes it's, where are you, God? Like, I don't see you. I don't experience you. And here we are in a moment where it'd be very easy to talk about mental illness and like that doctor was saying, like, just throw up scriptures and you can do it, guys, and throw rainbows and unicorns at people. But you're willing to get into the mess with it and have a real, honest, raw conversation. So Deborah's story is obviously like it, it was really moving. But the other thing in that episode, too, is like. Rachel, you ended up actually sharing a lot of your personal story and your personal journey mm-hmm. with mental illness and mental health as well. And actually, I've I've heard from a lot of listeners over the last couple of years about, you know, what you shared in that episode and about how touching that was for them. What was that like for you to talk so openly about your own mental health? Actually, I love talking about it with other people. Like if someone's like in my community group or like I'm hanging out with some friends and someone starts talking about like their struggles with mental illness or like this medication they had to take like I love jumping in there and being like hey I take medication too and just kind of like creating like yeah, a bond it. yeah and like a safe space it. yeah. it's like we can talk about that because the reality is other people do too yeah. yeah yeah okay so on these episodes so number five was singleness mm-hmm. number four was wealth yep number three was mental illness so far the episodes are kind of personal like it's kind of yeah they're not the big like justice yeah. topics like you know like incarceration yeah. or what abortion or yeah. you know homelessness sex industry does this okay so does this trajectory stay true like does it tend to continue to be more like self-focused well let's find out so 
Number two on our list. This episode is like paramount to what we do. I love thy neighborhood. It's like this is at the core of who we are. First episode. Oh. No, no, no. No, no. 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 The neighboring episode. Yeah. 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 Neighboring. I love I love this topic because it is it's like ground zero for the Christian life, you know, it's like loving God, loving our neighbors. And yet a lot of times it's like, how do we do that neighboring thing? It's yeah. like so antiquated. The idea of young adults who by and large were not raised in a time of neighboring. Like they've been raised in an era where like their interaction a lot of times is happening happening digitally. They're commuters. So they tend to drive everywhere and their life tends to be pretty fragmented. So this idea of like knowing the people that live next door to you, knowing the people on your block, like I love in this episode that we get to hear stories of like young adults trying to do this really old fashioned thing called neighboring. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually what our clip is, is it's one of our Love That Neighborhood alumni in her experience with neighboring. So here's our clip from episode number eight where the gospel meets neighboring. Daisy Cooper is serving with Love That Neighborhood. She's at the park and she sees a pregnant lady with a two-year-old son running circles around her. This woman looks exhausted and Daisy decides to roll the dice and ask this woman if she can help her with her son. And what does this woman say? Yeah, sure, go ahead. And I was shocked. So Daisy throws a ball around with the little boy and she learns that the woman's name is Jamesia. My first impression of Daisy I just actually thought like she was just somebody in the neighborhood. She was like, do you mind if I play with your son? And I'm like, oh, yes, take him off my hands. Like I got this huge belly. I would love to sit down for a second. Daisy's teammates eventually come over and they also start playing with the little boy. So as her teammates are playing with the little boy, Daisy walks over and sits down with Jamesia. She learns that Jamesia is a single mom. She's in her third trimester of pregnancy and she moved here a year ago with her son, Kobe. I was miserable, stressed out, thought I would never like get anywhere and stuff. Um, at the time I was pregnant and had Kobe, so I couldn't work. I was like really struggling. So it was very like stressful and miserable for me. So they're really enjoying their conversation with each other. Daisy's really excited because she's finally met a neighbor. Jamesia's excited because she's got people playing with her kid. And so they exchange phone numbers. And then suddenly a rain shower happens. It started raining. So we just like literally ran home. And she's like struggling. Seven months pregnant. She can't run. So they part ways and each go home. And Daisy figured she probably wouldn't see Jamesia again. That this was just some random meeting. It was strange that I never saw her my whole summer. Because she lived like two blocks from us. We always went to the park. She said she always went to the park. But no. It's really weird. But Jamisi was really curious about these people. Actually, I was hoping to run into them again. After she talked to me about how much they they were involved into the community, because I just, they just seemed to be so happy, you know, and just calm about things. Now, remember, when Daisy and Jamisia met at the park, they exchanged phone numbers. And Jamisia is the only neighbor that Daisy has gotten to know. And so Daisy starts texting Jamesia often, asking her if she wants to come over, asking her if she wants to go to church, asking if she wants to meet up for dinner, uh, wanting to spend time together. And it's just hard for Jamesia. Jamesia is a single mom with a baby on the way. And so Daisy starts asking herself, you know, if I were in Jamesia's shoes, 
what would I want right now? And so she decides to throw Jamesia a baby shower. She was seven months pregnant when we met her and, and she didn't have things for this baby. So Daisy gets on Facebook and starts asking her friends to donate things and help throw this shower. And her teammates, they start doing the same thing. And it was really awesome also to see my roommates just come behind that idea because for six people who've never had a baby to like throw a baby shower, we're like, yeah, that's crazy. People donated tons of stuff from baby clothes to a bouncer, um, food for the party, decorations for the party. Um, they came to our party. And because Jamesia didn't really have friends to invite to the shower, Daisy just invited some of her own friends. It was a bit strange asking people to come to a stranger's baby shower, but they did. And some of the strangers that came to that shower, Jamesia's friends with some of them now. Here's Jamesia remembering the shower. It was amazing. They brought lots of gifts. Can't say that, so I went home with a lot of stuff that I was not expecting. <laughs> After that, I just felt happy and joyful, you know, just excited, like, yay, I have friends now. That baby shower ended up being a turning point for Daisy and Jamesia. After the baby shower and after seeing that Daisy was committed to be a part of her life, Jamesia accepted her invitation to go to church. And she started going to church every week. And then to Daisy's community group, which is a small, more intimate gathering of people from her church. A few months later, Jamesia's baby was born. Daisy and her teammates would often babysit for Jamesia so she could go to community group, so she could look for a job, and even so she could attend a baptism class at church. And on the Sunday of her baptism, during her testimony, there is one person she specifically mentions by name. Here's a clip of someone reading Jamesia's testimony at her baptism service. I got pregnant again, and that's when I broke, and I cried out to God. I prayed, and I asked God for help. But more than that, I needed redemption. He then placed Daisy Cooper into my life. Daisy became my friend and introduced me to Sojourn, where God really started revealing himself to me and molding my heart. He gave me clarity on what his word meant when he says, I am your stronghold. My faith began to grow more and more because I believe, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, that my story is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Amen. Amen. So when I heard my name, I froze, but just like everything in me stopped moving. And I just like started crying, just broke down crying. I just didn't expect to be in her story, her testimony by name. It was real that I was a part of someone's story. Yeah, I love, I love that story. Mm-hmm. Like so it good. really is like, it's an incredible story because it started with something so small. It's just like daisies in the park and then. She's just like, oh, there's this kid and this mom looks tired and I'll help out. And it's like those little tiny acts, you know, lead to transformation life just completely yeah. being changed by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you can't underestimate the power of relationships, like real relationships and really being present. It's a story about perseverance, you know, and it's like Daisy just kept showing up and kept trying to move forward and kept pursuing loving her neighbors and in the end, like, she did not end up best friends with 20 neighbors, but she ended up best friends with one woman who really needed her, and she really needed Jamesia. And so it's a story of perseverance, too. All right, uh, so when we come back, 
we're going to do the top favorite episode as yep. voted on by listeners. Number one. Cliffhanger. Yep. So stay with us. In today's episode of the Love That Neighborhood podcast, we're exploring some of our very favorite episodes. Well, one of our very favorite musicians here at Love That Neighborhood is a guy named Ryan O'Neill of the band Sleeping At Last. We actually interviewed Ryan on our other podcast, Love That Neighborhood Presents The Cast. Specifically, check out episode number 30, where Ryan flips the script and actually interviews us. So do you feel like, do you, all the things that you just said that a nine brings to other people, do you feel like you are able to bring that to yourself? No. (laughs) Uh, Short answer to your question. No, I don't either. Uh, I don't either. And I'm trying to figure out how to change that. Check out Love Thy Neighborhood Presents the Cast by searching for the Cast wherever it is that you listen to podcasts or by going to lovethatneighborhood.org slash Cast. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. I'm Lachlan Coffey. And I'm Rachel Zabo. And now it is time for our listeners' number one favorite episode. Woo! Number one! Drum roll. Number one. Da, 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 I gotta da, da. say, there are some there are some episodes not on this list that I was positive were gonna be on this list. Really? Yeah. I, I thought the first episode would be on. Well, I thought that Maybe LGBTQ. <laughs> I thought LGBTQ would definitely be somewhere on this list. Okay. I thought social justice would be would somewhere be on, on this list. So you you thought like hot button issues? Well, yeah, because that those are the ones yeah. that are they, they get have more the highest clicks. number of listens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe they're just yeah. clickbait. Yeah. Um. But number, what do you think number one is? You know, I don't know. Is it the first episode? I th- I think it's racial reconciliation. So number one is racial reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. Is that that's the by first a landslide. Episode, right? Yeah, by, by a landslide. landslide. Yeah, really? yeah. It's like everyone's favorite. Well, it's an incredible story. Yeah, it's funny too to go back and listen to it because it sounds so bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> we were just little like kids. We were, you're like, you could totally tell. It's like, oh, we recorded this in the basement of the yeah, building. Okay, so all yeah, let me, you audio okay, files so, will so enjoy this clip. Maybe this is a chance for us to like confess. So, so like all of season one of the podcast, we didn't have a recording studio. Uh, I had to go into uh, a friend of ours. Their ministry was, they had just bought a brand new building and it was totally empty. No construction done in it. And they said that we could use the basement. And so we went to this like huge building. It's like 60,000 square feet. And we went down into the basement and then went into a closet. And it was me sitting by myself in a little closet. And in fact, I even inter- interviewed Mike Cosper inside this little tiny closet. And it was like a, it wasn't like, it was a closed closet. And there were no lights in it. Like it was literally the two of but us sitting inside this little closet. Slowly push through the coats. Yeah, you yeah, get to Narnia. <laughs> Lamp post, <laughs> Mister Tumnus. Yeah, but the first season of this podcast was like, I'm like, we were so punk rock. It yeah, was it's like, so it funny. It was just like duct tape and any microphone we could get our hand yeah. on. But it's to the power of story that. Oh, it's you know, an incredible story. Yeah, the power, the, the like, the story was so incredible that you know, as long as the audio sounded decent. That we had a chance, you know, to tell a good story. So, yeah. So uh, the clip I'm going to play for you for that is actually with uh, your interview with Mike Cosper and his controversial sermon that he preached. That was sort of like the catalyst for a lot of stuff that happened in this church. So here we go. Last clip from episode number one, where the gospel meets racial reconciliation. It was fall of 2014 
Sojourn was preaching through the book of Ephesians, and they came to Ephesians chapter 2, which says, For Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. As soon as we knew we were doing an Ephesians series, we knew we'd come to this passage, and we had to figure out, okay, what are we going to what are we going to do with it? How do we want to approach it? You know, that Ephesians 2 passage is is famous for being a passage to, for, for these kinds of conversations around race because it's, you know, Christ tore down the wall of hostility. As a writer and blogger, Cosper had been sharing his thoughts on the recent happenings in Ferguson, Missouri, the shooting of Michael Brown by a white police officer, and the riots that followed. But I had been writing on race uh, a good bit. And so the pastors asked me, hey, would you take this, take this passage, take this week, knowing that, that it was a tough subject and that I at least had a certain fluency in how to talk about the questions or how to speak specifically to white people about these things. But having fluency doesn't make the words easy to say or to hear. Here's a clip from that sermon. Nick Kristoff in the New York Times wrote a, a fascinating editorial called are, are We All a Little Bit Racist? And he includes African Americans in this. And what he shows is that studies show this broad tendency to make, to make prejudicial judgments about people with black skin. And what he points to, and, and this is so crucial for us to hear it, is that most of this bias is implicit. It's not conscious. And, and here's the thing. Racism isn't just politically incorrect. It's sin. And sin is dynamic and deceptive. Racism deceives us, and we think we've conquered it, but it persists in our hearts, and it persists in our culture. My goal was to get white members of our congregation to acknowledge there's still a problem here. It didn't end with the end of slavery. It didn't end with the civil rights movement. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. But there is equal opportunity for blacks here in America. There is not equal opportunity for blacks in America. Hold on, hold on. In fact, because of affirmative action and things like that, it now establishes legally that people of color cannot be discriminated against, that being black can actually work to your advantage in some cases. Yeah, so that's to the advantage of a few. It's not a systemic advantage at all. For example, the Knife Street Divide in Louisville. So one way you go downtown, everything is all hunky-dory, nice buildings, nice restaurants, everything is clean, kept neat. Boom, you cross Knife Street, 10th on down, family dollars on every other corner, liquor stores on every other corner, and that is simply the Knife Street Divide. You tell me, what's the predominant race that lives beyond Knife Street? Yeah, it's mostly African-American. Yeah. And this is just in the city of Louisville. Here's Cosper again. We quote pastors and theologians and treat them like they're heroes. And people in our pews and people in our neighborhoods think to themselves, that guy might have owned one of my ancestors. That's privilege. It's never having to hear quotes from people who subjugated your relatives. And the refusal to acknowledge it, its existence is itself a way of wounding a whole community. And so you have this incredibly dark history and legacy. And it, it shadows a lot of what we do. And it shadows a lot of the reality of how it is. And yeah, it's way more fun to preach platitudes and sing some happy songs on a Sunday morning than go, hey, this is a big deal. And people are still hurting over this and being hurt by this now. It was a bold step toward racial reconciliation. And Sojourn has four services on Sunday. So Cosper, he had to say this message four times. But what Cosper and the other pastors didn't realize was the aftermath and trajectory their church would now take because of this Sunday. One of the things that happened afterwards was there was a significant amount of pushback. I got a lot of pushback for my comments. He got face-to-face comments and many emails. The first comment he received was... By 11 a.m. that day. Uh, So somebody went to the first service that day, went home, and sent me a dozen links 
just lots of these very hardcore right-wing kind of things saying uh, racism doesn't exist in America today. And this guy wasn't the only one who had an opinion. There were many white people who were very upset. I mean, I remember, I remember after one service, there were these, these, um, uh, these, these gals sort of confronted me, white gals, born, raised in the suburbs, and just vitriolic, just angry over the, the content of the message. You know, and essentially arguing, hey, you didn't preach the text, you, you brought too much politics or too much philosophy or this kind of the other, you know, we need to talk about Jesus. And not just white people, even the handful of black people in the church were upset too. There were African-Americans who were angry that we were talking about this. They came to church and essentially they said, we deal with this all day long, all day, every day. I came to church to hear about Jesus and be encouraged. I don't want to sit through that. I have another friend who's a police officer who came and, and was actually encouraging about the whole conversation and shared some interesting stories from, from inside um, the, the police department. Who said that as he was walking in, you know, one of his friends who was also a police officer was walking out and said, you don't want to go in there today. You don't want to listen to this. And <laughs> I mean, I, I went home, couldn't sleep that night. I was, I was just rattled by it. And then the next day, um, I think I finally got, a, got to sleep at around one in the morning. And I think I slept until one or two in the afternoon the next day, um, just, just exhausted from the whole experience because of the sense of resistance in the room, the very obvious sense that you are saying things that people don't want to hear. This sermon made me more aware that even amongst my friends, um, even amongst people who I've lived life with and lived in community with for a long time, the problem runs deeper than, than we know. In the midst of all the backlash, Cosper says there were a few encouraging responses. There, there were three women in particular, African-American women, who attended that day, who just went out of their way to say to say thank you and just to, to share their own experience in the church. And, you know, and this tension for, for them, I mean, for all three of them, they were saying, look, I'm, I was hovering on the edge of this community trying to understand, do I have a place here or not? Because here's this aspect of my life and it hurts. And... I want to be in a church where people share that pain and where, where I'm, I'm welcome to feel that pain and, and, and talk about it. So here's my question to you all. That was episode number one. Mm-hmm. So why did you all want to start with that episode as your first one? Do you remember? Can you go back into your catacombs, the, the incubation of this whole thing? Yeah, so originally it wasn't going to be the first episode. We actually produced uh, episode number two where the gospel meets the sex industry. We actually completely finished that one. And then it was going to be the second episode. But as Rachel and I talked, we were like, man, that really feels like the first thing that we need to come out with. And part of it was because of what I said earlier, which is it's not that we all have to agree, but we have to learn how to talk about these things. And in, in particular on the issue of race, like, Christians just don't know how to talk about it. So what happens usually is that we break off into our little friend groups and then we all just echo each other and reinforce our ideas, you know, that we already think. So we leave the conversation thinking the exact same thing as when we went in. And that's not always helpful. I think the idea of being able to share a real story of a real church that truly stepped into it, counted the cost of what does it look like to truly be people, you know, agents of reconciliation. Well, and didn't do everything perfectly either. No, right. Yeah, there were a lot of mistakes along the way. So it was like, a, it was a very genuine story, you know, of like yeah. 
people who really wanted to do the right thing and really kind of screwed it up as they went, but they just kept moving forward and God, you know, God and his grace kept meeting them. So we definitely, we're going to have to revisit that story because yeah, I want so to. much has happened. They, I that. mean, there's been leaps and bounds since that episode came yeah. out within Sojourn that, yeah, yeah. There's a so whole other that story. The listeners can look forward to it, right? Yes. Yeah. We'd yeah. like to definitely. Yeah. Yeah, hope we're so. hoping to revisit that you know, be cool. in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. there we have it. Top five episodes per our listeners. We should have said this too. Obviously, we didn't include any, any episodes from season three. So people couldn't vote on episodes from season three. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. can only vote on, on episodes yeah. from season Seasons one and two. two. Yeah, there were, right. there's Correct. rules. Yeah. There's rules, people. I mean, we'll yeah. have to do it again. We can't just And go. include season three. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it looks like we got to make it to episode 50, and then we can we'll uh, do, do another, another one. best of. Yeah. yeah. A retro. Half a century. Half. No. <laughs> not a century. It's not a it's Half not a century a episode. No. <laughs> hey, special thanks to our listeners who voted on their favorite episodes. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening and for supporting this podcast. We would not be doing this without you guys. So thank you. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Co-host was Lachlan Coffey. And editor, technical director, and producer, and breeder of guinea pigs, Rachel Zabo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it. You gotta finish the sentence we can't use it. Okay. Rachel Zabo. <laughs> I didn't get that one either. I didn't get that Thanks, one either. Thanks, Lachlan. Uh, theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year, growing your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs>